Good morning. It's so wonderful to be with you precious people again, to see you. Um, I have a huge connection to this church and this congregation. My father-in-law started this church uh, 758 years ago, and some of you were charter members. (laughs) And uh, then a while after that, my grandfather on my mother's side, Virgil Florence, uh, came and pastored this church. So on my wife's side, Wade Jernigan, uh, the founder of this church, and my grandfather, Virgil Florence, both have connections. When I was um, when I was just a kid, like um, oh, between the sixth grade, between the sixth grade and about the tenth grade, my parents, my dad pastored a Free Will Baptist Church in Colorado, and we lived in the Denver area, and. It was during that time that my grandfather pastored here, and we would come and we would drive down from Denver and and uh, visit here, and it was just a, an amazing thing. I'm 61 years old now, and so I have that kind of history with this amazing congregation. And uh, you know, here's the deal: number one, we glorify and exalt Jesus Christ for the existence of this church. This is His church. Amen. I am so grateful uh, that Jesus said, um, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We have got to remember that this is his church. Um, I I have no idea about what people can see in heaven. I, I don't know if they look down. I don't know if they're aware of what is going on down here or not. There's, uh, some people say yes, they're very aware. Some people say no, they're not aware. And then I think that there's probably a, a middle option. Uh, they are partially aware. So maybe not yes, fully, no, nothing, partially, possibly. Uh, I don't know. My theology is still wet cement on that. But, uh, so in, in uh, relationship to that, I wish that Wade could see today. I wish that Virgil Florence could see today. I think that it would scream a great, big, huge amen into their heart that what they did in this place was worth the effort. And you precious people, you precious people are worth the effort. And I thank God for what he did through Wade, through my grandfather, and through every pastor who has been here. You are worth the effort, and I thank God that you exist as a church, and I am tickled to death to be here and share the Word of God with you this morning. Amen? Amen. The last thing that we sing today is, Thou art worthy to receive glory, glory and honor, glory and honor and power. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil 
one. And then how does it end? Say it with me. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Stop right there. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and what? The glory. For how long? Finish it out. Forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, we... We stand here today and we lift our hand to heaven. And we give you glory. We give you honor. You take care of us. You meet every need. You fill our lives with good things. You save us. Through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. My sins are forgiven today because your Son paid a price that I cannot comprehend. I don't understand it, Lord. I am amazed. I wonder how He could love me, a sinner. Damned unclean, how marvelous, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be, how marvelous. Oh God, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. We are weak. We are inadequate. We do not trust in the flesh. We do not trust in PowerPoint. We don't trust in, in the stuff that we can do in this moment. Lord, we've done everything on the bottom side that we know to do to share the eternal truth of God with these precious people. But Lord, we trust in you at this moment to help us. Help me. Help these people. Help us together as we set around your holy word. In the name of Jesus, if you agree with that prayer, say amen with me. Amen, amen, amen. Wow. Well, we're in a series, Being the Light of Jesus in a Darkened Culture. And uh, when I came, when I talked to Stacy about coming... I said, please just let me step into what you're doing and let me be a part of uh, this ongoing uh, series conversation that you are having uh, with your church. And so uh, he gave me an assignment, and by the power of God, I'm going to do my best to fulfill the assignment. I wrote and wrote and wrote and put PowerPoint presentations together. And last night, it was like God said, okay, can all that? We're going to get to it. Here's the blood and guts of what you need to say. And so about uh, 12 o'clock last night, I wrapped this thing up. And I'm just glad that, I, that God spoke to me and that I was listening. Amen? Uh, wow. It's, it's, it's important to a actually get from God what you are supposed to be saying from a passage of Scripture. This whole thing of preaching, truly 
preaching. It's a tremendous responsibility. And it only happens right when the human side and the God side get together. Now, can I tell you something? It's never a lack on the God side. Amen? The, the lack is with me and you. Amen, brother? Do you struggle with it sometimes? It's a bummer, ain't it? It is. And I am sure God is going, good night, Bob. Why don't you? So we just have to keep listening and listening and praying and praying and obeying God as he speaks to our hearts about the sermon. So, Sin City, being the light of Jesus in a darkened culture. Oh, what is that? That is the, the symbol for the Olympics. Absolutely. The Olympic Games is a centerpiece of Paul's culture. How many of you? How many are you going to watch uh, of the Super Bowl next next Sunday? Right? Is it is it next Sunday? How many of you? Now, listen. You better get this answer right. How many of you are pulling for Denver? Let me. <laughs> okay. Now let me ask you a question. Are games? Is the sporting world a centerpiece in the American culture? Tell me yes or no. Absolutely. And when the Olympics roll around every how many years? Tell me every how many years? Four years. How many of you find yourself watching the Olympics? Yes? And there's both summer and there is winter. Now, in Paul's day, in Paul's day, there was not winter Olympics. There was not skiing. There was, not, there was simply what we would call the Summer Olympics. And many of the games that we play today in Summer Olympics are the exact same games, and they had their birth. In Paul's culture and one back, the Greek culture, which really became uh, a driving, lingering influence in uh, the Roman culture. So, and it's called uh, Hellenization. That's what that, that, that culture invading other cultures is called Hellenization. So, uh, out of the Greek culture, the Roman culture uh, continued to enjoy uh, the Olympic Games. Now, Here's some common knowledge regarding the Olympic Games, okay? Uh, there were rules for competing, just like today, right? Okay. Uh, what, what, is it, what is it called when in a race a runner gets out of their lane and they bump into a runner in another lane? They call that something. What are, do you, can you tell me what the hell? Huh? Can anyone tell me? It's called default. Yeah. All right. Uh, winners... In the Olympic Games, just like today, winners must compete, and they must not just compete, they must finish according to the rules if they are going to win the gold, silver, or bronze, right? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, there were rules for competing. You couldn't just do what you wanted to do. And winners had to compete, and they had to finish according to the rules if they were going to win, which leads us to uh, the third Understanding, um, you could be disqualified for breaking the rules. As a matter of fact, you, you were disqualified for breaking the rules. If you did not compete according to the rules, it doesn't matter uh, where you were in the pack. If back down the road somewhere you broke the rule, you were disqualified. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Paul says this, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And let me just say, here's what I want you to understand. That, my, that thing came in and left just 
like that. That's that's what happens when you're 61 years old. Uh, you go, what? Where? That was conversational whiplash. Uh, okay, so let me let me tell you this. Uh, these rules they have a strong application to living the Christian life. They're they're not completely on top. And here here's what I here's a disclaimer. Okay. Uh, how many of you would say, yes, I am saved by the grace and the mercy of God? Let me see your hands. How many of you would say, there are things in my past that I'm ashamed of and I know they were sins? Let me see your hands. Yeah, me too. I got mine up too, right? Okay, here's the deal. Because of grace that comes through pet faith, that is expressed in repentance. Now, just give me a bye. But repentance. We know. That in the Christian life, things that we've done in our past that have been covered by grace through faith expressed in repentance, they have been forgiven. Amen? And we are not going to be just, when we stand before God, thank God Almighty, as believers in Christ, He's not going to dredge up all those things that we've done. No. He says He has buried them in the sea of forgetfulness and they are not remembered against us any longer because of Christ. Amen? Now, carrying forward, there is still an application. It's a strong application, and we'll get to it. But what I don't want you to do today is sit there thinking, oh, no, am I going to go to hell because I did something 25 years ago? If it's under the blood of Christ, it is over with in the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I don't want you to worry about that, but by the same token, I do not want you to miss the obvious truth that is built and packed into this passage of Scripture. This is a moving forward passage of Scripture. Now then, here's the, here's, here's the stuff right before. This is what Stacy's been preaching about. Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win Jews, to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. That's all the Jews, okay? Now, he slips into the Gentile arena, and God made him an apostle to the Gentiles, and he said, and to those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are under the law. So what Paul says for the sake of the gospel, depending on my culture, depending on my audience, I am going to be more sensitive or less sensitive to the Old Testament rules and requirements so that I may not be offensive and the gospel of Christ may be preached through me without offending either Jew or Gentile. Are you tracking with me? Is this making sense? Okay. Now then. He says, to the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Some. Let's read verse 23 together. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. What is now this I do? Everything that he's just talked about. Why does he do it? For the sake of the gospel. And there is a personal, there's a personal ad here as well, that I might be partaker of it. The blessings, the joys, the responsibilities, the rewards of the gospel. He said, the reason I am living like I am living, what I just told you before, is for the sake of the gospel. That I might be a partaker of the gospel with you. Now then, this is today's 
sermon. But you really cannot understand this passage until you connect it as it is connected in Scripture with the passages before. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. It. What is it? It is the prize, right? It is the prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they, those people who are competing in the Olympic Games, they they immediately know what Paul is talking about. Because uh, the Olympic Games is such a part of their culture. Paul slips into this conversation without saying, now, I'm talking about the Olympic Games. They all know what he's talking about. Every one of them. So he just grabs this illustration out of the heart of their culture and he begins teaching the Corinthian church spiritual application about living for God. He says, so all those, all those, uh, who, who compete for the prize is temperate in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for what kind of crown? Tell me what it says up there. Imperishable. Imperishable. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. That's Uncertainty is an important word. We'll break it down for you in a minute. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Say that word with me, disqualified. That is an... That is, that, is a, that is the elephant in the room in this passage. That is a tough word that we do not like to deal with. Now, we talked about sins in the past under the blood. Moving forward, we still have a responsibility toward the Almighty God. Amen? Okay, let's see what Paul does with this. He uses the games to illustrate spiritual truth. The Christian life, here's the spiritual truth that Paul uses the gains to illustrate. The Christian life comes with God-ordained commandments, conducts, and protocols. They must be honored if we want to win the prize. Moving forward, from today on, you need to know that the Christian life comes with protocols, rules, commands. If you are going to win the prize, you have got to honor the rules. I was talking to my neighbor years ago. His name was Steve Murray. He is dead. He is in glory. Okay, I will tell you that. He is in heaven with the Lord. But one day, he told me about a lifestyle that he was living He said to me, I guess God is just going to have to overlook that. And God elbowed me in the ribs. He went, wham! He said, you better not let that go. You better not let that go. And I told him as kindly as I could, Steve, I'm going to guarantee you, God is not going to overlook your sin." And God's not going to overlook yours, and God's not going to overlook mine. Some power words or phrases in this passage. 
run. It's figurative. We kind of know what it means. I didn't put the Greek up here. You'll see Greek in uh, the other explanations, but it's figurative. We get it. It is living the Christian life. It's the way I live as a Christian. That's what run is all about. Competes. Uh, agonize. Do you see it in the, even in the Greek word? It means to agonize, to persevere. Temperate. It means to be self-controlled. The word uncertainty, I told you that was an interesting word. That is an interesting word. It means that I am aware of and I am running by the rules. He says, it's not like I'm out here and I don't know what I'm doing. He said, as a, as a competitor in the Olympic Games, and we take that right over to the Christian life, those, those, uh, those people who competed... Um, they knew exactly the rules for uh, their game that they were competing in. They didn't get out there and say, oh, no, what am I doing? No, no, they didn't even get out there if they didn't know the rules. Amen? Yeah. Okay. So, so Paul says, I do not run with uncertainty. He said, I don't live my life like I don't know the rules. That's what Paul is saying here. I don't live my life. Like I don't know the rules. Discipline. The old King James Version. Is anybody carrying the, the, the King James Version today? Is there anybody in the room who's got it? Will you please just check it, check me out on this. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians 9 and look at this passage that we're looking at. I believe the old King James uses the word buffet. He said, I know the rules. I bring my body. I discipline my body. I'm temperate. I'm self-controlled. Why? Because I know the rules. And buffet, that's what it looks like in the Greek. It means under the eye. It means to strike under the eyes, to beat, to give a black eye. Now, this is figuratively speaking here. Paul doesn't sit around and do this. But he said, when it comes to my body and doing what God says, sometimes I enter into a real battle with my own body. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? Has anybody here experienced that as you have tried to live for the Lord? The flesh is screaming, I want to do this. And God is screaming, Bob, you better do this. Have you ever been there? Now, let me ask you this. Have, have you ever lost to the flesh? I have. I have lost to the flesh. I wish that I could tell you that the flesh never wins. I've got to be honest with you this morning, and I've got to tell you, sometimes the rules of God are ignored, and I put the flesh above God's rules. And we've got to do something about that. Amen? We've got to do something about that. Paul says, so what I do, he said, I take my, and I give my body a black eye, and I hit it right square in the nose, and I say, no, you're not winning today. No, you are not going to prevail today. When the will of the flesh is contrary to the will of the God, the will of God, somebody has got to stand up and fight so that the will of God will be done in the body. Amen? That's what Paul's doing here. Disqualified. It means to be disapproved. It means to be rejected. It means to be cast away. That person by default loses. Even if they cross the line before everybody else, it may appear that they have won. But if they ignore the rules, 
Paul says, they're disqualified. The prize. That's another, that's the prize, the crown. They both go together in this passage. It's figurative for the reward for winning. The reward for winning. Let's talk about the significance of the crown for a minute. Four times in the scripture, in the New Testament, the crown, the crown refers to the crown of thorns that Jesus wore. One time, it is called the, uh, the perishable crown in this passage that Paul is talking about today. The winner of an event, uh, the Olympic event, they are given this, uh, this crown, and it was, a, does anybody know what it was? It was a wreath of what kind of leaves? Do you know? There's a laurel, exactly, right? Was it olive leaves? I think it was olive leaves that they uh, wrapped up and put on that person's head. Uh, two times in the, the New Testament, it's called a crown of rejoicing or joy. Those two words go together. And it's about Paul's feelings regarding believers in Philippi and Thessalonica. He said, you are a crown. Okay, when I talked about Wade Jernigan, when I talked about my father-in-law, if they could stand here today, they would say, this church is a part of the crown of glory and joy and reward, re, uh, rejoicing, and you people are a part of this reward that I have from the Almighty God. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul was saying to the church at Philippi and the church at Thessalonica, and that is exactly how he used the word crown. Crown of joy, crown of rejoicing. Not only was, say, was he saying, I am proud of you, he was saying, I thank God that I got to be a part of this work. It's a crown for me. It's a crown. It's a reward, a benefit for me. Now, let's talk about the, the significance of the imperishable crown in verse 25. It's called also the crown of righteousness. Paul says later, after he writes this, he's waiting to die. He's going to be beheaded. And he says, I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith, and I have finished the race. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. And I think this connects right back to the imperishable crown that he speaks of in this passage. The crown of glory, First Peter talks about, and when the, the chief shepherd appears, he will give you a crown of glory. James talk, calls it the crown of life. After uh, enduring temptation, you will receive the crown of of life. It is exactly uh, the same idea that comes to uh, the church that John writes to in uh, Revelation 2.10 when he says, And those who overcome, those who endure to the end, will receive the crown of life. So we've got crown of life, crown of glory, crown of righteousness, the imperishable crown. I submit to you today, these are all talking about the exact same Concept. It is about well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys, finish it with me, the joys of the Lord. That's what Jesus says, I think, in Matthew 25. It is about eternal life. Don't ever 
lose the fact that when Paul is talking about this imperishable crown, when he is talking about the crown of righteousness, when James talks about the crown of life, when John the Revelator talks about the crown of life, and when Peter talks about the crown of glory, they are all talking about one thing, and that one thing is ultimately the reward of eternal life for living our lives according to the will of the Almighty God. And now, the Lord said to Bob, you've got to clear some things up with these people as I preach uh, let, let me let me say to you right now. So what happens in my life when the flesh wins and the will of God gets ignored? What am I supposed to? Do? Am I am I immediately disqualified over here? What am I supposed to do to come back into the right lane with the Almighty God so that I continue to run toward this tremendous prize that He has for me? What? Do I do? How do I solve that problem, that tension that occurs when I do not do right? How do I take care of that? We ask for forgiveness. But not just forgive me. There has to be in our heart the concept of repenting. Turning away from that thing. And I'm going to tell you, there's some things over here that I've had to turn away from and turn away from and turn away from over and over and over again. They're called besetting sins. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? Have you been in the boat with me here? You, you, you know those particular weaknesses that you have in your life. You know how you're hardwired and that hardwiring because you are a fallen person. Even though redeemed, there's this war going on. Amen? We're redeemed, but we're not fully redeemed. Did you hear that? We are redeemed, but we are not fully redeemed. There will be a final redemption that takes place in our life when we stand before Jesus Christ. And then and only then will we be perfected. That has nothing to do with saying the rules don't matter. The rules matter. The rules matter. And when I break the rules, the only way, the only way for me to continue to move toward the goal of eternal life is to come back to the Heavenly Father and say, Father, and here's what I say to him sometimes, Father, I have acted like an idiot over here. I have sinned. And I don't know about you, but I'm never real proud of myself when I sin. Oh, it's so aggravating to me. Now, what Satan wants you to hear this morning is you're disqualified. You, you can't go to heaven. You, you've broken the rules one too many times. You're done. What God wants you to hear is, yes, the rules matter. But when you break the rules, there's a way for forgiveness. Amen? So that we keep moving forward to do the will of God. Okay, here's what I think. I think that the passage that we just read, the big passage that Tracy has been digging around in and the, the one that I've been given today, I think it's summed up in one phrase. In one phrase. Paul is saying, this is what I do, and this is why I do it. This is what I do, and this is why I do it. This is what I do. 
So what is going on here? Paul takes the Olympic Games. He uses that as an illustration. Paul uses his own life as a personal example. And in this passage, there is this amazing spiritual application that is going on out of the Olympic Games as an illustration and out of Paul's own life as a personal example. And then the readers at Corinth, just like you precious people today, it is our responsibility to understand what he's saying and make the appropriate application in our life. That's exactly what's going on in this passage. And Paul sums it up this way. He says, this is what I do, and this is why I do it. Now, we look at the entire passage. This is what I do. I endure the pressures. I make the adjustments. To the Jews, I become Jews. To the Gentiles, I become Gentile. Why? I'm making the adjustments because I've got a mandate from God. I've got a responsibility, a job that God has given to me. I meet these demands. I run. I compete or persevere. I control myself. I discipline my body. I subject it. I honor the rules. Paul says, this is what I do, and this is why I do it. This is what I do. Now, let's catch the second part of the phrase. This is why I do it. Okay, Paul, this is what you do. Why do you do it? All the way back in verse 23, that I might be a partaker of the gospel with you. One of the reasons that Paul does what he does is to partake of the gospel, and that's very positive. That's a positive, okay? Why do you do it? To partake of the gospel. Positive, amen? He even stated positively. Well, Paul, Paul, why do you do what you do? This is what I do. This is why I do it. Another positive. It's, it's the implication of this whole Olympic illustration. I do it to receive the crown of life, the prize, eternal life. That's why I do it. Does this, is this making sense to you guys? This is what I do. This is why. What do you do? I told you. Why do you do it? I'm telling you. To partake of the gospel, to re- win, receive the prize, the crown of life, eternal life. Now then, there are two positives. Is there a negative? Is the very last phrase of the passage, the last phrase of verse 27. Here's the negative. To keep from being disqualified. So what happens when the flesh wins? And I just say, God, you'll just have to overlook that. God, that was no big deal. God, I'm just going to let that stand before you. God, I'm not going to humble myself before you. Buddy, I'm going to tell you, at that moment, when your attitude moves there, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. When we get entrenched, eh, like my neighbor, God, you're just going to have to overlook that one. I really don't intend to do anything about that that lines up with your will and your way and your command. God, I want to, yeah, God, I, the, the flesh is one, and you're just going to have to suck it up and get used to it. You'd say, I never would say that to God. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. There's all kinds of people who come to church every Sunday who their life screams that to the Almighty God. I'm not saying you folks. 
But I want to tell you something. There are people who go to church every Sunday, and they live like hell, and they think they're going to heaven. That ain't happening. You can just write that down, okay? That ain't happening. The big question that this passage answers, how can I win or receive the imperishable imperishable crown, also known as the crown of righteousness, glory, the crown of life? That is the big question that this passage answers. And I do not know why it took me so long to get this screen right here. It's what really God slammed into my mind last night. Bob, what is the big question that this passage is answering? That's it. I don't know why it took me so long to get to that. How can I receive the imperishable crown? The crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the crown of life. How can I win or receive eternal life? Another way of saying it, how can I know that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven? That's another way of saying that. How can I, as a believer, today, right here, how can I know that I am headed to heaven and not the other direction? How can I know? How can I know? And I think that we pretty well established over here that it's not sinless perfection. Amen? But it has to be faithfulness to the will of God. So when I do sin, I have got to come back over here and say, God, I know your law. I know your commands. I know exactly what you want me to do when I make a mess of things over here. And in my heart, I repent. I humble myself. I yield to God and I cry out for forgiveness. And what does God do? How quickly? He doesn't say, let me think about it, does he? When he sees that heart, when he sees that heart, when he sees that heart of humility and submission and and repentance, immediately, God doesn't say, give me a couple of weeks. I may not have a couple of weeks. Amen? God says, you're forgiven. Boom! Just like that. And then he says, now, just keep on. Just keep on. Just keep on. Man. Here's the big idea. What time is it? Man, I, don't ha- I can't preach until noon. I am done. When, when people who follow my preaching, when, when I get to this point, they're saying, wow, Bob's wrapping up. Most of the time they're going, he should have been to this slide three hours ago. <laughs> really, this is a, an if-then paradigm. Model composition. If, if you want to win, if you want to receive the imperishable crown, eternal life, then dedicate yourself to live according to the will and the commandments of God. If that's what you want, then this is what you had better do. Can you see that? I don't need to read it. If you can see it, just read it. I was saved as a kid, 
And what I do as a 55-year-old man really doesn't make any difference because I was saved as a kid. Some people believe that. I don't believe that. I don't think Paul believes that either. He seems to have another idea, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Paul, Paul, in this passage, you know, here's the deal. I don't need to interpret what Paul says. I just need to let him say what he says. Amen? Paul, Paul is even concerned about his own destiny. He said, lest I, after I have preached the gospel to others, he said, I do all of these things. Why do I do it? So that I might enjoy the gospel. So that I might win the crown of life, so that I may not be disqualified. And we've got to deal with disqualified. Some people think there's no way that a believer can ever become disqualified. Well, I beg to differ. And Paul says, I do these things. Why? Because of the gospel, because of the crown of life, and because of disqualification. Two positives, but there is one negative that we better not ignore. There's only one reason a person becomes a follower of Christ. Now, when you preach a sermon like this, people wonder, does this guy believe in work salvation? Absolutely not. No. I know that I am saved by grace through faith, that not of myself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I understand that it is the grace of God that makes me His child, that accepts my initial plea of repentance. There is nothing that I can do to save myself. He is the Savior. I do not save myself. Amen? I got that. I got that. I do not believe I'm going to heaven because I'm a good guy. By the same token, I do not believe I will go to heaven if I have such disregard for God that I say your rules don't matter. And there's only one reason a person becomes a follower of Christ. I had a preacher tell me the other day, he said, I'm working on a sermon. No, 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 no. He said, I preached last Sunday. Jesus said, follow me. When he went and got those guys, he said, follow me. It was, the point he was making is, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about coming to the altar, and we talk about repenting, and, and all, those things are all right and good, okay? Okay? But Jesus said, follow me. And it's really out of a heart that we follow. Why, why would I follow Jesus? Why would I follow Jesus? Because I trust him and I love him. I believe that he's the real deal, and I believe that his teachings are true. The only reason, the only reason that I just don't live in the flesh over here, and I repent, and I come back to God over here, is because I believe Jesus is the real deal, and I believe that his teachings are exclusive, and there's no way to the Father except through Christ. There's no way to heaven except through Christ and his teachings. Faith leads to a definite way of life. The passage that I quoted for, by grace you saved through faith. That not, you know, verse 10 is so important. Help me with it. Please help me with it. Um, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Those works God has ordained for us. And the whole idea is before we ever got into the game. 
When God started thinking about people that were going to be redeemed, he was thinking, this is the life that I'm looking for. This is the manner of living. This is the running that I'm going to call for in the lives of those who follow me. Open your Bible to John 14, 15, right quick. It's so interesting, and, and I, just, I want you to see this. kind of neat the way the Bible works. John 14, 15, just open it. Uh, okay, Stacy, I'm just going to, no, you, because you're sitting in the back, and you can project. Yeah, 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 you, 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 very guy. I don't know why people come to church with a beard, but I'll tell you right now. <laughs> All right, dear brother, do me a huge favor and read John 14, 15. Read it out loud. Hmm. Turn to John fifteen fourteen. Say it again. It's interesting. Fourteen, fifteen, fifteen, fourteen. Say the same thing. You got to remember that. The only reason that I follow Christ, the only reason that I regard Him, is because I trust Him and I love Him, and I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. And I say, out of love, oh, how marvelous. Woo! How wonderful! And my song shall ever be! How marvelous! How wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Amen? I love him! Because he has forgiven me the horrible, rotten things that I have done. Praise his holy name. Amen? Praise God. Man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh. It's really all about trust, love, and obey. Amen? Trust, love, and obey. It's really not that tough. It's really not that tough. Personal question. Are you trusting Jesus enough to live according to the will and the commandments of God? Maybe you've got some unfinished business in your life this morning. Maybe there's some things over here the flesh is one and you're not proud of that. There's a problem there. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Come over here. Acknowledge God and His will and repent. Amen. Do what I do. Do what I do. Over and over and over again. Repent. She says, it's time for you to shut up. Yeah, your own self. <laughs> I love that girl. Oh, the big purpose. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want. Here's what God wants you to do. Here's what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Here is the weight of this passage. Paul says to the Corinthian church, and what he said to them made the final copy. So it's God speaking to us today. Dedicate yourself to live according to the will and the commandments of God. If you want to go to heaven, then do this. Amen? Now, horrible thing to just say, thank you for letting me preach today. Let's go eat. We have got to give you precious people a moment to respond to the Holy Spirit of God. And here's what God is going to do to you today. He is either going to He is going to confirm and encourage you. He's going to say, Yes, I know. You've sinned, but you're taking care of those things. You're repenting. 
Or he's going to say, you know what? You've been living like a mule. You've got your heels dug in the dirt. You've got your neck stiffened. And I'm pulling on the rope, but you're not coming. And this morning, if you've been living like a stubborn mule, it's time to do something about it. Amen? Now, yeah, to the piano. Absolutely. Yeah. Simple, simple, simple. And I think that we just need to go back. That song has stirred my soul this morning. How marvelous, how wonderful. I don't care how rotten you've been. If you're willing to humble yourself and repent, God will forgive you. But I want to tell you something. You will be disqualified if you get like this on God. You can pull, you can invite. You, but God, I am not yielding. I, I'm going to just live in the flesh. I'm going to tell you something. You will die and go to hell with your heels dug in against the Almighty God. Is there unfinished business? You'll say, I've been through this so many times. Go through it again. That's what living according to the will of God is about sometimes. Just saying, God, however how many times it takes, I'm going to keep repenting. I'm going to keep yielding. I'm going to keep humbling myself before you. Mm. I don't have that song in my sermon. I had no idea we were singing that song today. What page is it? 240? 348. Just grab your hymn book. 348. Wow. Give me that introduction quote. Yeah, just right quick and we'll... I stand amazed. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love a sinner condemned. Left it. Oh, how marvelous! How marvelous! How wonderful! And my song shall ever be. How marvelous! How wonderful! Is my Savior's love for me. All right, now we're going to just hold on. You play quietly, and I'm going to talk, and I'm going to say, all right, right now, right now, this is the, this is the cut bait or fished moment, all right? Right now, right now. You've already heard me say, sometimes the flesh wins. You, have you heard me say that? Have, have I sit up here and talked to you like I'm not one of you today? Have you heard me say I'm horribly ashamed when the will of God gets ignored so that the will of Bob's flesh can rise up? Have you heard me say that? If you've heard me say that, say yes. Do I identify with you? Absolutely. Is there unfinished business in your life? Is there something over here, the flesh, that needs to be taken care of this morning? Is there a repentance? Is there a humbling? Is there a yielding to God? Do you need to take care of something today? You will not go to heaven ignoring the will of God. I promise you, you will not go to heaven. 
you will not go to heaven ignoring God's will. God speaking to your heart today. Maybe you just slip up your hand and say, yep, I've got some things I've got to take care of, and I'm going to let you take care of them right where you're sitting, okay? But listen, I'm, I'm, my hand's up. Amen? Amen? My hand's up. Yeah, sure, sister. I see it. Absolutely. Yeah, best thing that you can do this morning, honey bun, just raise that hand. Now, you take care of it right where you're sitting. Amen? Just take care of it. Anybody else going to join that girl right over there? She said, yep, I've got some things I've got to take care of. Anybody else need a hand up? Sure, honey bun. Absolutely. Yes, brother. Yes, yes, sister. Yes. Take care of it right now. Right for your setting. Take care of it. Humble yourself. Go to God and say, God, I am so sorry. I have sinned. Forgive me. Right for your setting. Take care of it. Anybody else going to join them? Let me see your hand. Just a, yeah, absolutely. Right over there. Absolutely. Take care of it right now. Take care of it right now. Repent. Right now. Anybody else? Just take care of it. Run to God with a humble heart. Take care of it. Give them time to pray, folks. We just got to give people a little time to pray. We don't rush this. Quote this verse with me. It is in 1 John, the first chapter, the ninth verse. If we confess our... He is faithful and... To what? And cleanse us from... If you today came to God with a humble heart and said, You know what? I've been living contrary to your will. I'm humbling myself. I'm confessing. I want you to know. I want you to know. Beyond doubt, by God's word, if you have confessed your sin to God, if you have repented, turned away from that thing, God immediately said, I forgive you. Amen. I cleanse you. Isn't that great news? That's living by the rules, folks. Amen. Praise God. Let's stand.